right, this is it. We're live. Welcome to the Kaiju Transmissions Podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I've just been here so much, I'm starting to think of it as as my home. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like Tom doing the intro. He does a better job than both of us, Kurt. Uh, yeah, he had a he had a a little gusto in that delivery that we typically lack. But yeah, that was Tom. I'm Kyle Bird, and with us oh, is huh? I'm Matt. Yeah, that's I'm Matt. Today. We, we've all switched seats. It's October. Yeah. Or Tom Tober. I like Tom Tober better. I think October <laughs> makes more sense though. Hmm. It's the end. It's the end, though, of whatever uh, specialty month you want to call it. Yeah. Now, do you do a ho- the Halloween hangover thing where you just keep watching more stuff into November? Um, well, that's what Trev I, does. Usually, kind of don't, but I might a little bit this year because um, I doubt I'll be able to watch all of Channel Zero. Um, I watched the first couple episodes, uh, so I'm a couple behind. Um, and uh, I also have watched two episodes of Castlevania. So, how do you feel about Castlevania? Season two or season one? Season two. How do you feel about it so far? I mean, two episodes in, I actually kind of like it. I feel like it's made me laugh a few times. I feel like Trevor Belmont is cracking me up. Trevor Belmont is awesome. Him and Alucard, especially like they're they're you know like you know the 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 girl that that they're with. She's like, I don't want to leave you two alone, and like, no, we're fine, we'll be fine. And then like as soon as she leaves, they're like, fuck you, yeah, I hate you too, bitch. <laughs> Do you need to even remember the first season to watch it? There's because... a there's like a two minute or three minute recap on Netflix that you can watch. Yeah. Um. And that, like, pr- does a pretty good job of of getting you up to speed. Because I barely remember the first season, and it all just felt, like, set up anyway. It yeah. was. There's really one, like, there's really, like, a, only two or three things from the first season that you kind of have to know going in, and I'm sure that's covered in the recap. Okay. Um, well... Hey, did you guys hear the big news? No. Just, or maybe you did, but I don't know. This just came out from... I think Variety yesterday. Um, so that would be the 29th. Uh, the director of It, Andrew Muschietti. Oh, yeah. Yes. Muschietti? Yes. Whatever. I posted, this, I posted this in our thread yesterday. Oh, well, I didn't pay attention to that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is, this is, uh, this is hot news. His, uh, his next project is going to be an American version of Attack on Titan. Uh, well, it can only be better than the Higuchi uh, movies, right? I never even yeah. watched the second. God, part two is is the Rob Zombie Halloween two of Attack. So on it's Titan. good. No, it's terrible. Oh, <laughs> snap! <laughs> movie is atrocious. Hot take. Well, I like that movie, so you're you're really just upselling it to me. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, the second one was. I don't even mind the first one that much, but the second one's terrible. I didn't care for the first one. First uh, one's okay, but the second one is a substantial, just drastic step down. So, well, I don't know. Well, how how do you? Because you guys, I mean, I liked it, but you guys were a lot hotter on on it than I was. Well, how do you guys feel about that? 
You care? I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I'm. <sighs> I wish he was attached to something I actually liked or cared about. I don't particularly like Attack on Titan. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious, but I, I don't know that. Like, I would have envisioned that's his next project. <laughs> uh, well, I wonder how that would carry over to a Hollywood kind of because, like, the the world of Attack on Titan is so strange, and just getting down to like the, you know, even just the imagery of the the military in that, and you know, all the old kind of like cannons, and you know, the kind of German do think, uniform. Do you think people and, are gonna like falsely claim that it's whitewashing? Yeah, this, they'll cast someone as. Yeah, the 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 their version of Aaron will be named like Steve or something, and they'll be like, "Why is a Japanese guy playing Steve? Or why? How come a Japanese guy is not playing Steve Smith?" Freaking Europe. Yeah. Well, yeah, that I was too. Just say, <laughs> the the Attack on Titan, the show, is not set in Japan. I actually or, think of all the like. Is it set in Japan? But all the characters are European for some reason. I don't think it's even set in Japan. But uh, but uh, yeah, there's only maybe two. There's, a, like, there's yeah, there's, there's barely Japanese, any. Ja- there's the, a Japanese character, and they very specifically go out of their way to state like she's like the only Japanese person on Earth. Yeah, there's like barely any Japanese people in that show, so it would it would actually be easier for Hollywood to stay true to the characters because in well, Japan they they just cast Japanese people. That's I'm that's what I'm asking. I'm asking like when when it when it's announced that you know like I don't know. Uh, Jason Statham is playing Aaron. You know, like, <laughs> is everyone gonna be like, "Oh my god, whitewashing"? Yes, we got a white exactly person. That, that. There's gonna be a think piece. And we got a white be... person in a Japanese role, and you're, like, <laughs> you're gonna be like, mm, "Just because it was made in Japan, that is not a Japanese role." Like, yeah. People need to get their head um, around uh, localization, but it'll be interesting to see how how it's handled and. uh yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't dislike him. I even, I didn't even mind Mama. I saw, I only saw it the one time, and I don't, you know, it's not something I'd probably go back to, but you know, it was fine. I thought he did that. Yeah, yeah, I don't care for Mama. Yeah, but um, it is awesome. So yeah, but it, yeah, and that's the thing I, is, I guess it kind of depends, like, because I don't know a whole lot then about this Muschietti's past, like. I think is it's just writing? Mama and that and it. Well, is he writing? Did he write Mama and did he write it? You know, and and is he going to be writing uh, uh, Attack on Titan or uh, is this like a situ- Is it? Is he kind of one of those guys who like every time you watch him in his movies, you go, "Oh, he's really a talented director," but it really depends who his writer is. You know, like well, well, I don't know Attack on Titan. I could see someone else getting attached to that but he wrote mama but he doesn't he didn't write it so see so that that to me says he might be a really good director but not a good writer so it kind of depends on who's doing the story maybe because that's this is something i wish i mean we've talked about a little bit on our in our thread is like that's something i wish rob zombie would do i wish a lot of directors would do that give up the writing aspect of it because rob zombie can can direct like like a like a madman. He's awesome at directing. And then when it comes to like his story and script, you're like, Oh my, this is, this is terrible. Yeah. Just stop. <laughs> Just stop. Um, are you guys going to go to Japan and, uh, buy a Godzilla textbook and then 
pay another $80 to take the Godzilla quiz to get the uh, Godzilla no, expert certification? I'm not, <laughs> and I judge anyone who does. I um, mean, I can I can pay Toho $85 to take a quiz. So I, then they will reassure me that I am a Godzilla Toho to basically to actually expert. get a fan card. That is the most. No, it's it's even, they need. No, to- it's not a yeah. fan card. It's a, a certified. It's a certification. It's a, but it's, a, it's a certification. It's essentially worthless. It's a, it's Matt. Worthless Matt. Matt. If you're looking over like job uh, resumes <laughs> and someone has like qualifications, like I got oh the God. Godzilla fan uh, expert certification. I mean, come on. Come on, that's a resume building. That resume goes directly in the trash. That's a that's a <laughs> that's a resume builder right there. That certification, okay? Could you imagine? I'm I'm with Matt because like I've looked through resumes at, at various points <laughs> in my career. If someone had that on their resume, that would go straight in the trash. <laughs> no, what happened? That that resume. There's a picture taken of the resume, and it gets emailed to a bunch of the you know our peers, and we all laugh at it. And then the resume goes in the trash. And that's what would happen. I mean, <laughs> l- let's be honest. So, because okay, because the taking both tests, because you have to take, you can't just take. The advanced test. In order to take the advanced test, you have to take the intermediate test also. So both tests cost you eighty five dollars. And you have book? to like leave your house and go to like a testing center. Or something. Yeah. And what is the, what does the book cost? Do they tell you how much? The I don't book know. Costs? It, probably at least okay. thirty bucks. Probably. I was just say. So let's say the book costs thirty bucks. If you're dumb enough to pay a hundred and fifteen dollars <laughs> to get a Godzilla certification. Then I, I want you to sign up for my mailing list <laughs> because I'm going to come into G Fest with some <laughs> like discount price of eighty dollars and and be like oh because you're taking it in person uh, and not at the testing center you get it you get it at a discount <laughs> and I'm going to start selling Godzilla certifications at you know G Fest announcement and- announcement. Kaiju Transmissions, along with uh, Tom, are going to be sponsoring a Godzilla test, and you yeah. have to pay us. For- <laughs> <laughs> next. Yes, and we will tell you whether or not you're a Godzilla expert. That is correct. Oh my god! Which one of one thousand one one to one hundred thousand of God of Gidra's scales falls off at the? 94 minute 35 second mark someone better know it man those are like some of the questions did you did you see some of the questions uh, on there yeah one of them was like what uh how many how many days did gidra take to, to, to how many women this? have you slept with and i bet the answer is zero <laughs> but no the the yeah the question was uh how many how, days did gidra take to destroy venus yeah yeah who cares uh, who knows that well, you could bring a Shiro Honda back from the dead and ask him that, <laughs> and he would just think you—you would think you're a maniac. It's like that—that that Simpsons episode where uh, Homer is the voice of Poochie, and the, they're asking him, uh, uh, "How do you get through some room without the wizard's key in the itchy and scratchy video game?" And he's just like, "What the hell are you talking about?" <laughs> That's what these questions are like. 115 bucks to just be called a certified Godzilla expert. I don't even. <laughs> All right. Well, well, that's it for the news. 
portion of kaiju transmissions. Do you think anyone would fail that? <laughs> I've seen this three times. Oh, I need to retake it, yeah. <laughs> They're going to spend $300 trying to take a test. <laughs> fail. Uh, you guys want to talk about some horror movies? We're going to try and get this dropped on Halloween. Oof. Oh, I, yeah, I know, man. It's Today time. is uh, All Hallows Eve, so that's that's tomorrow, Bird. You gotta do it tomorrow. Yeah, well, I was just telling them in Detroit we it's have a thing Hall- called Devil's Night where <laughs> the police are, like, extra heavy on the streets and we all lock our doors because uh, people light uh, buildings on fire. Otherwise known as Tuesday. It's a big arson day <laughs> out here. It's just a typical Tuesday uh, in Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is out on, uh, this is recording on Devil's Night, which for us Michiganders means the day before Halloween. So, yes, I will have my work so, cut out and hopefully we won't mess up. Screaming in the background. <laughs> yeah, it means Don't I'm probably on fire. On fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, we, uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be crunch time for me s- to get this out, so hopefully we don't mess up too bad and I won't have to spend a year in editing. So let's get the show on the road. Um, so I think uh, uh, we have we have a... a, 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 a what's, what's the word for like a... A sample... <laughs> A sampling. Oh, like a yeah, cross-section or a... Yeah. Yeah, sampling. Yes, a sampling of movies from probably one of the more popular directors uh, who has, have done, has done kaiju movies. Uh, Shusuke Kaneko, um, I think, is a fan favorite. And probably, like, if you look at the post-Showa... Japanese Godzilla and kaiju directors. He's probably one of the only ones that's like... And all due respect to the other filmmakers, but the only one that is really a kind of like real director in a way. Like, he actually has like a body of work in a lot of different genres. He's still working. He's prolific. Where, you know, you look at guys like Omori and Okawara and even Tezuka, like... You know they're they're fine for the movies they're making, but like their their careers pretty much end and begin and end at Godzilla. You know as feature film directors, and then like they've just I don't know they've like dissipated into the ether these days. But um, Kaneko before and after Godzilla has had a healthy, fruitful career, um, and yeah, I, I, him and. Well, and I, yeah, and and Ano now, and yeah, as much as you might dislike Ano or Kitamura, I mean, they are real directors. They had actual careers. Yeah, yeah, and they're still successful. So, I mean, uh, that's another reason why it's like, hey, you know, why not talk about more of this guy's work, especially since he's so popular. Um, <clears throat> And I think, you know, we you, you can draw connections to the kaiju movies and, and some of these, which I'm sure we will. Um, but yeah, Kaneko, mostly, his most of his filmography is actually dramas and romances and comedies and stuff. Um, but just like us, he's a big fan of kaiju movies. And I mean, 
I'm sure anyone listening already knows what he's done, but the Gamera Trilogy and GMK and uh, the two Death Note movies, which we, we talked about on the podcast already. Um, but he's also done a few horror films, and um, I don't know, they're, they're all varying degrees of different or interesting. Um, I definitely didn't feel like any of them were cookie-cutter um no so i have uh and they're all different from each other right right in 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 not just and not just in like subject matter uh but tone and style honestly right right yeah because uh, the the one <sighs> plays it plays in an american production and you wouldn't know um and then the one is like super duper low budget uh, and then the one is like a got a lot of the elements of J horror, except for you know not a lot of wet, pale faced kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I don't know. I think it's fun to kind of explore different talents of different filmmakers, and with someone as beloved as Kaneko, and it being Halloween, and um, some of these movies being decently available we thought why not so um just a rundown of what we have here is uh first is going to be necronomicon which is an an american anthology with um one segment being directed by kaneko uh the other one is my soul is slashed which is a vampire comedy then we have uh, Crossfire in 2000 that kind of came between the Gameras and GMK. Um, that is a sci-fi movie um, about people with powers, and um, it often gets lumped in with horror because of you know it it you know t- it has some some gruesome stuff in it. Um, and I know that he uh, kind of said it's um, his version of the the Toho mutant movies. And then we have God's Left Hand, The Devil's Right Hand, which is a very strange, like, surrealist, ultra-low-budget, kind of more experimental thing. Um, So, yeah, enough dicking around. Let's put the pedal to the metal, and we're going to start with 1991's My Soul is Slashed. Uh, Yeah, I figure we're just going to go in chronological order. Um Go right into it. <laughs> uh, and this was a, a, a horror comedy. Um, well, I, I, a co- comedic <laughs> vampire film produced by Toho um, in Toho? the early Oh, really? I, I didn't know that. Yes. I don't know if I knew that. Yes. Uh, well, did you miss the logo when it came up? <laughs> Probably. Oh. Um and uh, even as far back as uh, uh, 91, um, he was working with Kootani, the composer that, that did the Gameras and GMK. Um, and uh, Shinichi Wakasa did the makeup and uh, effects. And he also built like uh, most of the Toho Godzilla suits from, I think, like... Uh, Mechagodzilla 93 through Final Wars, and also Ultraman, all kinds of other stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just talked about him, because his first uh, movie was uh, the short Gakidama, and he made the little creature 
thing. Mm. Um, and this one of the of of the movies we're talking about, this one is the one that is like nearly impossible to find. And I, I mean, I'll preface this. I mean, really, any movie we talk about, if you want to know where you can find it, just you can reach out to me on Facebook or send a, us an email at Kaiju Transmissions at Gmail. But um, yeah, I, it got a VHS release and then kind of just disappeared. Uh, and yeah, the only copy that you can find is uh, a VHS rip that, you know, it's not the best quality. Um, and the subtitles were done by Video Search of Miami, I think they were called, but they're like an old video store that had a lot, that, that would do their own subtitles and stuff. And it's a miracle that that thing even got passed around to, <laughs> to make it onto the internet. <laughs> but, you know, it's I'm. It's a minor miracle then that you saying that it's a minor miracle then that the subtitles seem as relatively coherent as they are <laughs> right yeah you, you yeah what's fan sub sometimes you get crazy crazy stuff but um yeah uh so this strange movie uh i guess i'll i'll do um the kind of uh plot breakdown here or well or do, a lot of this was crazy well or would would one of you one okay you tom why don't you uh yeah th- right. volunteer so um I don't remember the character's name, but he is a salary man. Um, have you covered sal- what salary men are on this podcast at all? Not Basically so much. Just like but... the, the Japanese version of like a, a, a working man, you know, a guy who's very career driven, uh, just very like kind of boring, like pencil pusher. Um, so he's a salary man. Who's just trying to, you know, make a living. He's relatively higher up in his pharmaceuticals company. And he starts getting suspicious of his company. Um, and he's just kind of asking some questions about, like, their ethics and, you know, where some of their funds are coming from and where some of their money is going and things like that. And so the company kills him. <laughs> so that <laughs> that kind of answers our questions right away about their ethics. But um, and the guy that that set that up also like wanted to like move up. Right, right. So as they uh, as they um, kill him, which which the their method for killing him is like the least efficient ever. They try to run him <laughs> over with a car. Um, but as he's on his oper- on an operating table f- table fighting for his life. He gets a blood transfusion, you know, to try and save his life. Um, but the blood comes from Dracula due to a mix-up. Um, <laughs> basically, I forget how they... How do they get the blood of Dracula? Well, the, 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 the woman that... Like the, uh, the certified Dracula expert of the movie. Yeah, she happens to like uh, work there. She the test also, by the way. She's been studying... Yeah, she's, she, she paid $115... Um, and she got uh, she got a sample of Dracula's HIV infected blood, um, <laughs> and uh, and she puts it into the blood cooler, and it's like on like a little shelf that says like Dracula blood do not use. Um, and somebody bumps into it, and it falls down into the basket of just O positive blood, which O positive universal donor. So this guy gets some Dracula HIV blood. Um, (laughs) so, but he dies, um, because, you know, it's, he's, he's, he was dying, so he still dies. 
Uh, plus, you know, when you're like a vampire, you have no pulse and all that, right? So everyone thinks he's dead. So uh, then after he's da- dead, um, this certified Dracula F- expert seeks out his daughter and she's like, listen, if you just put some of your blood on his remains, uh, he'll come back to life. So the the daughter, you know, being like all distraught, she does it and then nothing happens. And then, for some reason, a year later, he comes back to life. And, you know, by this point, like, his family has moved on and everything. And it's quite a shock to see him back to life. But he thinks it's, like, he thinks it's, like, the same day or the next day. Like, he tries to go back into work. And everyone's like, uh, you're here. And he's like, yeah, why? Where's my office? And he's like, what are you doing sitting in my office to, like, some other guy? And... Uh, it's just a, it's a very weird, like he's walking around in the sunlight. Um, he start, does he start smoking or does he just get really, really sick and almost yeah, he die? Did, oh, yeah, he's, he, he, he starts, he turns into like, he's like a hundred years old by the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and so <clears throat> again, our certified Dracula expert, she comes over to the house and she's like, what is he doing? Walk around in the daylight. And she like gives him some blood and he starts to, you know, regain his youth, youthful appearance and she's like, yeah, he's he's Dracula now. And um, and she's like, she's like, he's Dracula now. So we got to, like, you know, teach him about how to be Dracula. And I want to study him because I've studied Dracula my entire life, but I've never gotten to actually interact with Dracula. So she, like, puts him through these weird kind of tests where she has him, like, tasting different blood samples and all this stuff. Meanwhile, his company is like. Uh, I thought we killed him. He's alive, right? So they start to come after him again and his family. Um, and uh, that's kind of the thrust then of the rest of the movie is it's him trying to reconcile himself between his newfound nature as the new Japanese Dracula and his past and how he, especially because for him, it's only been one day, right? Like, so how he can kind of come to grips with... Um, what he kind of knows and remembers about his past and his family and being Dracula now and, uh, his family, you know, having already moved on and how they can all kind of reconcile all that information at the same time, his company trying to kill him and him having to use his vampiric powers to lash out and get revenge. Um, so that's the basic plot, but I just I want to want to kind of say, imagine that you're green lighting movies, and then this guy comes up to you because I was was can I go a well known name at this point? Uh, um, not not quite. Yeah. I mean, I I think he'd done a few features, but um, so someone comes up to you and they're like, okay, so get this, <laughs> this this salary man who's just trying to make a living selling pharmaceuticals gets suspicious of his company and they kill him. And as he's fighting for his life, he gets a blood transfusion and they were like, oh, okay. And then he's like, from Dracula. So, <laughs> so then after he's cremated, his daughter puts her blood on his bones and then a year later he comes back to life as a vampire and he's the new Japanese Dracula and has to get revenge. And and they're like, oh, and they say, oh, and by the way, it's also a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I would do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so that's this this movie. It's it's a it's a wild one. Um, Matt, how about your thoughts on my soul is slashed? Also known as from Dracula with love, by the way. 
Oh, that's a better title. And I Want to Bite You is another title. I like them all. <laughs> I Want to Bite You. From Dracula with Love is good. I like Yeah, that. I like that one. I, I think the movie has a lot of interesting ideas. I, I like the, it, it. It's you know essentially a drama that's focused on the family. And, and Tom, you, you hit on you know the, the idea of them coping with, okay, this guy comes back to life. We moved on. The mother is now essentially dating. And she's talking about getting engaged to her new boyfriend. And some of the subplots like that kind of sputter out and they don't become the focal point of the film. Um, my favorite line in the movie, Hideo Amamoto is in this movie and he's the butler. And uh, he talks about once once uh, the guy becomes Dracula, he's like, oh, he's now a fully fledged Japanese Dracula. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, laugh, I laugh so hard at that line. There's that, and did you guys love the wig as much as I did? <laughs> I like, love the, the blonde. Yeah, he's got like a blonde wig. It's parted in the middle. It is atrocious. Um, th- there's a lot of, you know, the, the ending goes crazy. There's a lot of cool special effects with, you know, windows exploding and Dracula doing Dracula things and changing into a rat and stuff like that. There's some stuff to like. I think for me, it, it doesn't quite tie it all together. I don't think it's as quite as funny as it, it would like to be. Um, I don't know. It, it's okay. I, I guess would be my overall take on it. How do you feel about it, Bird? Um, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I don't. I don't really know that we need to spend uh, any more time with you know the mom and her new boyfriend. You know, I mean the the thre- the the story the is is the vampire and you know him reconciling with this stuff. And I I actually think that's one of the things that handles better and with some maturity. You know, it. it Almost, it, I think it's done better in the dead zone, but it kind of reminded me of uh, Walken in in the in the Christopher Walken in the dead zone, the the Cronenberg movie, where you know he he comes back and he's just like, yeah, it's just my old life's gone. It sucks, <laughs> and you know it's just you know he 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 makes a decision. You know, okay, if I'm going to be in the house, it needs to be when the wife isn't there. You know, and I need to, you know, just not reveal myself uh, to anyone that I don't need to, um, you know, and, and also seeing uh, how, you know, him and his daughter really didn't get along at all until she brought him back and he became a vampire. And, you know, that and seeing them, you know, finally, um, you know, starting to like each other and get to bond that uh, stuff I all re- I really liked actually him yeah. and his daughter, especially because like uh, his daughter like helps him through the whole process with the the vampire expert and you know she's around when they're trying to get him to like like they're they're trying to teach him like how to fly and, <laughs> and oh yeah and, and who did he turn oh, into who do we who did he turn into a rat to scare was it the daughter's well, boyfriend he, he was actually spying on the the wife and as the guy's about okay. to like, propose he scares the crap out of him with the rat and the guy doesn't end up proposing at that moment okay yeah so that those are act- that's actually my favorite my favorite stuff is in the middle when he's like trying to like learn they're trying to tom talked about earlier but they're trying to teach him how to be a vampire like they yeah he's he's trying different bloods and he he says like old people are bitter um <laughs> and he said like, virgins taste really good yeah yeah <laughs> and then there's another great part where they take him to the gym and like he just he just doesn't get tired 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Forgot about that part. So, uh, yeah, that was all my favorite stuff. Um, I like that. The end goes crazy. Yeah, well, well, yeah. So the third act is um, the hitmen come back for him, and he's actually like... <laughs> well, it actually turns out that uh, I think it's the, the vampire expert's father, I think, actually found a cure for vampirism. And it's some machine, and they they they're like getting ready to like plug him into this machine and make him a human again. And then these hitmen come and they interrupt it, and they like shoot him in the middle of the process. But he comes back is like that's when Amamoto says he he's back as the full fledged Japanese Dracula, um, and he can't go back I guess because he died in the middle of the the transition. Um, yeah, and then it just gets crazy from there. Yeah, it gets crazier somehow. Um, <laughs> but but also like one of the one of the kind of one of the things that kind of comes to um, comes to fruition in the final act is this subplot that's going on throughout the movie of you know this 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 Dracula expert. She's like very very interested in him, and she ends up somewhere towards the end of the second act basically confessing to him like because he's like why are you helping me so much you know like why why are you helping me figure out what blood tastes good and why are you helping me try to fly and use my powers and she's like um because ever since i was a little girl i've been madly in love with dracula and i want nothing more than for him to like suck my blood and kill me (laughs) (laughs) to the point where like she puts makeup on her neck to like she powders her neck to get herself prepared and she said she would do that like every night Yes, until he was like ready to to become Dracula and and kill her, um, and that finally comes to fruition at the end. Where at the end, you know, when he's you know kind of confronting like the the final bad guys and everything, you know, he uh, he's been attacked at this point so many times that he's like running low on on power or whatever. And she's like, "Suck my blood so that you can use my power to to get your revenge." And like, yeah, he does, and it goes just batshit crazy. There's a really, it, it, uh, really cool visuals when he does that. Like, it gets really like surreal and trippy. Like, there's like a like these like trippy kind of backgrounds that they're in front of. Almost looks like something out of like House or or something like that. Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> oh, another um. <laughs> another one of my favorite parts is like. There's a part where he like he's depressed and like he sucks at being a vampire and he's just like I just want to be all left alone and and then the the girl says it's sad to see Dracula's reputation at such a low. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's that's like it's it's funny so it's there there are times where it's funny, right? Um it's not always as funny as like, I don't, I, and it's tough because there's so many things going on with why it's potentially not as funny as maybe it should be or could be, or even thinks it is. It's and, a very soft you know, humor. It's not like, well, a, it's that's part of it. Right. Obviously humor. is it's, it's a soft, like, yeah, it's, it's a not more like that dry. brazen loud humor that like, you know, oh, yeah. And it's, it's a more so dry to, humor. Yeah. It's, it's more, I, I I almost it's more humorous than than outright funny, right? Like, and that's I mean, 
it's fun but not funny um and sometimes i think that's even what it's trying to be and do um the other part is just foreign sensibilities like comedy is a tricky thing right it's very japanese comedy is very strange well i mean it's really dry any any culture right like comedy is pretty culturally specific and and there's rarely a lot of good crossover um with comedy um i think of something like zebra man where so much of the comedy is just so like oh yeah subtle and like dry you know yeah especially the first one like the second one is is bonkers but like yeah that the first zebra man is very subtle comedy um and then, and then the other part is like this could be a bit of a wonky translation, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's. I was thinking that a few times. So it's it, there's there's a lot kind of stacked against it in the in the humor department. So it doesn't always like you're not always laughing, but it is it is fun, um, and it's entertaining throughout. It's definitely not. I, I definitely don't know that I've seen a movie like it. It's the kind of movie I, I like. I wish were uh, like occasionally in like a rotation on TV or something. Cause it's the kind of movie I don't, I'm not sure if I would ever really seek out to watch, but I know I would like watch if it were on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, I think that, I think that's a fair way of putting it. Um, but it's in a letterboxed list called erotic thrillers. Is it erotic? I don't <laughs> Maybe just because she's in love with Dracula? <laughs> you know what was cool is I actually really liked the opening credit sequence. Like there's a like Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's like a diorama of like Dracula and you know, the coffin and the moonlight and all that, and it's like a miniature thing that the camera is just like zooming in and out of and stuff. It, it, it was uh, very Tim Burton-ish. Yeah, yeah, that's neat. Tim Burton, may, that's, like, this has a little bit of early Tim Burton in it. It's probably I the closest, that's probably the closest, that, like, mainstream thing I can think of as a point of comparison, is maybe maybe something more like like Edward Scissorhands or something. Yeah, yeah. Now that you now that you bring that up, I could I could see it a little bit, you know. Like you said, more of a more of an Edward Scissorhands, less of a Dark Shadows, yeah. Yeah, anything <laughs> he's done in the last bunch of years, but but yeah. When Tim Burton was good, yeah. Um yeah. when he was when he when Tim Burton was willing to be like more <sighs> Pee-wee's big adventure, you know, mm-hmm. like when he was when he was willing to like not have everything covered in white paint. Yeah, yeah. Um and then yeah, then the the last act gets to him going to his work and uh it's actually pretty cool like he the guy that's trying to kill him, he makes him confess in front of news cameras, but since he's invisible because yeah. you know vampires don't show uh, in reflections or on camera so it, it you can't see that he's like the one like making him do it and so it just looks like the guy's just confessing everything and then yeah and then he and uh the girl go off and you know live a, a happy life as vampires isn't it and they're like um they're running like a blood donor like van yeah, <laughs> at the yeah they run like a blood van and 
the the end is them getting some good blood from somebody and he's like oh good blood's so hard to get these days yeah which yeah that's the movie's final like uh you know little social commentary on you know the aids crisis i guess (laughs) did you guys love the ending song as much as i did oh the ending song is odd it's on YouTube. You can find it. Look, uh, yeah, <laughs> my soul is slashed, and it is inexplicable. <laughs> yeah, that's like the only part of the song I remember. My soul is slashed. Like I, I don't remember anything else from it. Maybe that's because that's all the song actually is. Like uh, I have, it's probably it's like one of those songs. Sort of reminded me of like like just in how crazy the song is it's like the the goodbye now godzilla sign our godzilla yeah (laughs) yeah version of 85 yeah yeah for sure that song sucks oh it's terrible Uh, but no that's my soul is slash or from dracula with love um the hiv subplot thing like goes nowhere yeah, it doesn't really. They just say that he's he's got that Dracula has AIDS. <laughs> I think they <laughs> like, uh, d- d- do they only I think it's only mentioned like once. Yeah. It's not even yeah, it's really not even talked about very much. Yeah. I think the the last part where he says good blood is so hard to find these days is probably the only thing that's like kind of at least a little bit going back full circle to HIV. It's something that could you know, you could kind of work with in a in a in a vampire movie is, you know, the idea of a vampire catching like a, uh, a terminal illness. Yeah. Uh, but this movie, that should be not. The, well, if this was a big hit, maybe that would have been the sequel. Well, there, there's a couple times where they mention like clean blood. And, and again, I, I go back and I kind of wonder if there's not something missing in the subtitles that we're just not, not able Picking to pick up, up on. on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I, this is a fun movie and I would think, I would say if you can find it, (laughs) good luck. Uh, but yeah, check it out. I I mean, it's one that I've heard about for a long time and I was just convinced I'd never see. So yeah, it was a little bit of a miracle when I saw, you know, even the like VHS transfer bootleg show up somewhere. Um, so how many, uh, Dracula fetishes? (laughs) Uh, out of five um you gonna go bird yeah i'll start i'll I'll just say um i'd do a three and a half uh you know i i really enjoyed how most of it was done and how most of the things were were put together i think there are a couple things that don't quite uh get wrapped up as well as it maybe could or should have in the end um just you know with the multiple subplots and stuff um, but it's a, it's a good time and it's a, it's definitely an original movie. And, uh, as far as a vampire or Dracula movie, it's definitely, uh, one of the more bizarre ones. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I like it. I did not have as much fun as you guys did with it. Um, I think there's some subplots kind of, as we mentioned earlier, that it kind of just, they sputter out, don't really go anywhere. Um, so I'm at a two and a half. I just, I didn't get the excitement or the thrill. <laughs> like I have no desire to ever watch this again. And, and it would get like, if you could find it and turn it on the TV and watch it. Yeah. Check it out. But for me, eh, well, eh. what subplots would you want to see like more time with, I guess? Well, we talked about, I mean, like I think a big thing is they, they, they talk about the relationship between 
the boyfriend and the mom and like I get the fact that he's trying to avoid his family for a reason but then they bring him back and like he kind of shows up there and then he's gone again so like there's that and I think it distracts like it's kind of distracts from the overall relationship with the daughter there could have been a lot more attention placed on that um also like the idea that oh hey by the way my father knows how to make vampires humans and it comes out of absolutely nowhere because dracula setting that up and saying i want to be human that's another part of the film where he says i don't want to be dracula i want to be human and this whole time she might have an answer but like it just sort of comes out of nowhere it feels like a very well she, well, she was hiding it from him yeah i don't know she because her dream was to become a vampire and you know be the as every woman's dream is yeah she wanted to be his princess you know so she so that's why she didn't tell him but yeah i mean i don't know i I respectfully disagree because i don't i i didn't need any more time spent with the the mom and i and the the stuff with the him and his daughter was my favorite so i i don't know i thought it was fine Um, where you you guys I'm between you guys. I'm at a I'm at a solid three though. Like it's that three kind of teetering towards you know maybe it would be a three and a half on a rewatch. You know depending on how, how well it would hold up and if I might because you know one of the things I'm not sure that I necessarily picked up on it being a comedy right out the gate. And I wonder if, you know, rewatching it, some of the things earlier that I was like, that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. I would actually find funny, you know, on a rewatch, knowing that they're kind of supposed to be. You have a better Um, handle on the tone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, specifically like his blood getting put into like a cabinet with all the other blood and then just getting bumped into and like (laughs) dropped down into the bed. Like that's that's like funny but like <laughs> you know at the time you're when you're watching it and not sure that it's a comedy you're like that's stupid you know um but i'm at i'm at a pretty solid three like i said i would i would give it a a light recommendation i mean if if i'd say it's something where while we've been talking about it here if this sounds interesting to you yeah check it out if it doesn't you probably can skip it you know like it's that kind of a a light recommendation but um yeah, I'm at like a pretty solid three out of five. It's it's fun. All right. Well, we're gonna go a couple uh, a couple years forward, and we're gonna check in with a a gentleman by the name of Brian Usna, who any horror fans listening uh, should know that name. He's a yeah, if you call yourself a horror fan and you don't know Brian Usna, yeah, I mean he do yourself several favors yeah he had a huge hand in getting uh stuart gordon's career started by producing reanimator and from beyond and dolls and um yes i'm gonna say it honey i shrunk the kids um and uh (laughs) and then he would also you know be a little bit of a prolific horror director himself with the the reanimator sequels and also uh society one of my favorites um and uh the the dentist one and two um and uh living dead three yeah oh and this actually now that i think of it this isn't even the uh, the first time we've talked about him because he produced uh the giver and even in a movie like the giver which was supposed to be a kid's movie you see the name brian usna and you just whatever it is chances are there's going to be a lot of gross 
body horror, body horror, stuff. and goo and bodily fluids everywhere. And the the man is just a demented and slime and latex. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a de, just a demented uh, genius. And you know, God bless him. Um, and also, I don't know if any of any any of you guys have actually heard him. Like, he's very like open and honest about you know the movies he makes. He's like, you know, I'm not making art. He's like, I'm just grossing people out <laughs> basically <laughs> <laughs> but uh in 93 he gets this uh uh cuckoo idea because one thing him and Stuart gordon are both big hp lovecraft fans obviously you know from beyond uh reanimator i mean and for some reason they're like two of the only guys that have succeeded in my opinion in doing lovecraft in live action but he's uh he gets this cuckoo idea you know i to make an anthology movie of of uh short stories based on lovecraft short stories and uh he he gets crazy with it and he's like we should do a european director an american director which would be me and an asian director um, and so we have Necronomicon Book of the Dead, um, and Yuzna did the, there's a wraparound segment with Jeffrey Combs, the great Jeffrey Combs, uh, in, in Lovecraft makeup. He's got like a fake nose Ugh. and chin that's very odd looking. Distracting. It looks like Bruce Campbell. H.P. <laughs> <laughs> Lovecraft. Um, and then, uh, uh, he also did the third segment, Whispers, um, and uh so the first segment is um the drowned and that's by Christoph Gans who would um this was his first like movie i think he did some short films before that but uh brotherhood of the wolf and uh silent hill based on the video game those are things that he would go on to do and it's probably what he's best known for um and he's a french director and then uh Kaneko did part two, uh, which is the cold. Um, and, uh, I guess, I, I guess we'll touch on the other stories. Uh, the drowned is, um, about a guy who is learning about his, uh, his family and, uh, at, you know, this new mansion that he inherits and, uh, that leads him to the Necronomicon uh, to try and resurrect his drowned wife. And uh, a giant tentacle monster comes and he has to fight it. <laughs> that's that's yeah, that one. Pretty, that was pretty straightforward. Yeah. And then uh, we'll skip over the cold and uh, whispers. Man, because yeah, I only saw this movie once before I did this podcast, and then uh, I actually, not too long ago, I got the French Blu-ray for it, because I was really in the mood to rewatch it, because I didn't remember it much, and I didn't, I don't think I remembered the Yosna segment at all, somehow, and then when I rewatched it, I was like, oh my god, how did I, <laughs> how did I, how did I not remember any of this, because this is insane. That's when, um, this cop, she ends up, uh, on a, uh, a chase and it leads into this abandoned building in this kind of rundown part of town where there's a kind of good-natured old couple who it turns out they're oh god how do you even explain what they're doing they're like 
offering they're, they're kind of like vinnie jones and midnight meat train yeah they're they're like leading people over there so they can kill them and put their brains into these like bats bat creatures that live in this cave underneath the building and it's just it's super gross um there's all kinds of just gross creatures and transformations and stuff with brains and it's absolutely bananas and uh on this viewing it was my favorite of the three um uh but uh we're not here to talk about Brian Usna or Christoph Gans, as much as that might be fun. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna go to Kaneko's segment, which is uh, the cold, based on the Lovecraft story. Um, and Kaneko brought with him his uh, his well, usual- the Lovecraft story is called Cool Air. Oh, Cool Air. Okay, why yeah. why didn't they just call this that? Well, know. anyway, uh, he brought with him um, one of his uh, regular screenwriters. Um, Kazunori Ito, who uh, wrote the Gamera Trilogy and uh, Hack Slash, and, um, I mean, really the popular writer, I think, um, the thing that he's most famous for is uh, the Pat Labor franchise and, more than anything, Ghost in the Shell. Um, and they adapted uh, Cool Air for the cold. Um, so... Uh, any volunteers to break this one down? Okay, I'll do it. Um, so the cold follows, um, these are all American actors, it's all in English, by the way, uh, follows, um, a detective named Dale Porkle, played by Dennis Christopher, and he is investigating, or he's, he is, or is he a reporter? Is he a reporter? No, a reporter? I thought he was a yeah. reporter. Dale, okay. Dale is a reporter, yeah. Okay, so he's a reporter, and he's um, investigating a series of murders over the last, you know, I don't... few decades. Um, and he goes to um, this uh, apartment building, and uh, it's run by a woman named Lena, and he notices that it's, like, freezing. And he asks, like... He, he asks about these disappearances... And he's told about uh, the story of Emily, who was a young girl that moved into the apartment complex um, a couple decades prior. And um, immediately, almost after moving in, her uh, stepfather breaks in and accosts her and uh, pretty much attempts to rape her. And he gets killed um, uh, by one of the other tenants, played by... Uh, David Warner, the great David Warner, uh, playing a character named Dr. Madden, and, um, you know, it, 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 first they kind of, you know, try and have a smoke screen around it, but they eventually, they, they tell Emily what the deal is, and, um, it turns out, uh, he has discovered the secret of eternal life, um, and, uh, it's related to some kind of spell or, or something in the Necronomicon, and, uh, it also requires that he needs regular spinal fluid injections, and he can't be around any heat or anything. He, like, he literally will start to melt if he's, um, outside of, uh, you know, these freezing cold temperatures. Um, and so... He uh, and Emily end up falling in love, and um, 
having sex and Lena who has been helping him uh, get spinal fluid and stuff. She gets jealous. Um, and yeah, they kill a few more people and, um, at, at one point she, uh, Emily kind of, uh, protests and there's a little bit of a, a skirmish with one of the victims and it uh, basically causes a big fire in the lab, and David Warner just uh, basically melts, and it's really gross, and he pulls his face and his skin off and all this stuff, and um, uh, he dies, and then uh, it turns out later that um, uh, the woman telling the story... uh, um, is actually Emily and not her daughter, which I think she mentioned earlier. And, uh, she actually can't have the baby. It's stuck in some kind of limbo because technically her, her body, just like the doctor before her, her, her body is dead and it can only just function off of spinal fluid. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's the cold. And, it's gross and it's weird and um it's actually a pretty good story uh so who wants to go first i'll go i uh i, I dug it I, I mean the whole movie is is actually a lot of fun um but the storytelling is great the idea that the reporter's there trying to fact find and ultimately becomes a victim himself that's a that's a pretty nice twist and I think, I mean, for me, the most fun is watching the dude melt Dr. Madden and like th- that sequence is just utterly disgusting <laughs> and repulsive in all the best, in, the- in all the best kind of ways. Um, so I, I think, it, I mean, the closest thing for me, uh, I mean, it's, it's setting up kind of like creep show. You get these self-contained stories and there's little twists and turns and creatures and things. And I think anybody who's a fan of creep show or like, Something maybe even like the Twilight Zone, I think would would get a kick out of out of this. Yeah, it's um, this is the classiest entry in this uh, anthology. Um, in that, like, it's the one where the most kind of personal relationships are actually really developed. Um, it's the one that doesn't necessarily rely on the latex and the goop and the monsters as much. It definitely gets gross, Um, but it, but not in a way it doesn't really feel too exploitative where the other ones kind of get more exploitation. I think. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of the most, uh, the most like technically see, cause whispers is like got a lot of so much, Ratchet insane stuff in it but it's it is it's the it's the classy one like it's it's the it's the like real entry kind of um, <laughs> yeah, yeah in, in yeah, a actual way. character development throughout the whole yeah. thing it's the one that feels like um the person directing it actually had familiarity with the story he was adapting um because the first one i i don't know this is uh christoph gans like i don't want to badmouth him too too much because i actually i like silent hill i don't i don't love it but i think it's a a fun fine enough movie um 
but it's a very workmanlike kind of just like flat kind of boring uh not boring boring but just it's just kind of flat it's just kind of there it's the most forgettable one um and then whispers is is just yuzna being being yuzna like he's just like oh and then a whole bunch of crazy bats come and then there's it's gonna be more more slime than than you know you could fit in a dump truck Um, it's funny he says on the commentary because you know he was a producer so he was Every, it sounds like, uh, you know, everyone was kind of filming their segments around the same time. And he said, you know, he would check in with Kristoff and what well, he calls him shoe. You know, I don't know if that's, you know, for short or if that's like a nickname he adopted, but he calls him shoe. He said, you know, I was checking in with Kristoff and shoe and seeing what they were doing. And he was like, I, after a while, he just like rewrote whispers and was like, I got to make it crazier. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, the cold is, is, uh, it, it kind of takes itself a little bit more seriously, which, you know, it's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that. It's, uh, it's a nice kind of change of pace between the other two in that way. Um, you could call it the odd man out a little bit too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the, it's the classy entry and it, uh, it's, it's good. I, I always like seeing David Warner. So that's a, yeah. that was kind of and a the, fun the acting is really surprise. competent. Um, you know, I, and Yuzna talked a little bit on the the French Blu-ray I have um, that you know Kaneko was his. You know, every he got along with everyone, but his biggest struggle was the language barrier. And you know, when you when you get into that, you know, directors dealing with a language barrier. You know, sometimes you don't always get the best performance. Uh, I mean, if you want to kind of look at the reverse, the nationalities a little bit, at G-Fest a couple years ago, Higuchi said before the Shin Godzilla screening, he was like, please don't laugh at, you know, the, the woman playing Kayako Ann Patterson because to us, like, we thought her English was great. You know, we thought she was just doing awesome, but... Yeah, when Americans saw it, they laughed at it, and he was like, that wasn't on purpose. So, when there's a language barrier and you're trying to direct someone and have them, you know, speak in a language that isn't yours, you know, I I definitely think that jams up a lot of directors. And, um, you know, I mean, David Warner is always good, but, you know, even the other uh, uh, actors, I think, handled it really well. So, uh, you know, I know that's a challenge for, for directors that are working with foreigners. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can see it with uh, Kitamura, uh, and he's been working in Hollywood for a while, and I think doesn't necessarily have that language barrier too much. Yeah, he's um, he's pretty fluent, but like, but you could see it in some of his movies sometimes, where you're like, oh, that 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 one maybe could have used another take or yeah. something. But especially when it's an I mean, actor that you've seen, and you're like, okay, I've seen them better in other things, so you know, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, but yeah, it is just the language. I mean, it's when it's not your native language, it's, uh, it's kind of, sometimes you might think something is, is fine or is good. And, and yeah, it's just, but yeah, this, this doesn't really show signs of that. I, I honestly, like when I watched it, um, cause I actually watched this movie a, a while ago, um, it's funny it was this was on this was on a list of movies i had of just like um of like 80s 90s creature features um you know so just like gooey sloppy latex rubber movies 
um, that I've been meaning to check out. And I watched this movie like in August, just randomly. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of wasn't fully paying attention to like the credits portion. And I didn't even know that this was directed by Kaneko uh, yeah. or like, and there's, there's no real indication that it w- would have been directed by like a non native English speaker. There's uh, yeah, no, there's, um, we should mention, uh, I love the effects, you know, I, I love that, that like eighties, nineties, you know, practical effects. Um, should be mentioned that that was, uh, largely the work of screaming mad George who, I mean, if you like, uh, eighties and nineties, uh, horror movies, chances are you've seen a lot of his work, not only the stuff with Yuzna and, and, and whatnot, but a lot of the Elm street movies and, um, he co-directed the Giver as well as the effects on there. Um, and then, uh, I didn't even know this until like a week ago. Um, I don't think he did any real hands-on work on the movie, but, uh, makeup effects consultant, Tom Savini. Oh, well, how about that? Well, I'll be goddamned. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's Necronomicon and Cold Air, um... Yeah, I mean, I I I was a little cold on it the first time I saw it, which was maybe like uh? it was a yeah, <laughs> it was a long time ago, and f- somehow I forgot about the absolutely bonkers third story, which won't happen again. But um, yeah, no, this this time I watched it, I really had fun with it, and I thought all three stories were entertaining, and I loved the effects, and I just had a good time. Um, so. Uh, how many melted, uh, well, you know, it looks like he's got, like, yogurt coming out of his, uh, <laughs> out of his pores. Um, how, how many melty... How many, many Gogurt David Warners? <laughs> yeah, how many Gogurt David Warners out of five would you give, uh, I don't know, should we write the segment or the whole anthology? Uh, I would do the whole anthology. Alright, yeah, let, why not? Uh, I would give the whole anthology, um... I really liked it this time. I, ugh. I'm really torn between a three and a half and a four. To be honest, I really had fun. I, I, I think that you know, there's better anthologies and better um, uh, movies that you can watch by Yuzna and Kaneko. But I just, had, I just really had a good time. So, you know, I'll go ahead and I'll give it the four. Why not? It's an under. Right. It's, a, it's a. It's a. It's a pretty obscure movie these days. So you know, maybe uh, that four will you know give it a slight edge and get a couple more people to track it down. The whole thing is on YouTube, I believe. So it's not yeah, like I think so. Yeah. So I mean the like weird or something. Yeah. If you if you want a good like disc version, I mean you'll need like a foreign uh, disc and a region free player. Uh, but yeah, it, you can. I think it was on YouTube. Um, and I'm- not long ago. Um, yeah, I'm at I'm at a three and a half on on it. I I think it's a lot of fun. Um, not not necessarily always good. Um, you know, like any like most anthologies, it's it's a little uneven. Um, but I would actually rather I'd rather have something like this where it seems like everyone did kind of get to do their own thing, um, and you know their own way rather than uh rather than just trying to fit everyone into one style or something um 
So, so yeah, I'm at, I'm at a very strong three and a half. I really liked it a lot. Um, there's a lot of talent both in front of and behind the camera. Um, it can come off as a little bit cheap, but you know, uh, latex, gloopy, slimy monsters is, is my jam. Um, and there's even some of that in the bookend segment, um, with, with, uh, the library that's, that's got kind of a fun ending too. So, um, yeah, three and a half out of five, uh, Gogurt, David Warner's. I'm also at a three and a half. Uh, I think the movie starts off kind of with the low points and gets better as it goes along. The library stuff to me isn't all that interesting, if I'm honest. And Drowns is okay, but Cold is pretty good, and, and Whispers is, honestly, it's excellent. So if I were just rating on like what I love the most, Whispers would be a four. Um, that That is just bonkers. But I, I think it's a solid three and a half, kind of for all the same reasons that you guys have already mentioned, so I won't add any more to it. Okay. Right. So we're pretty much in. I'd, I'd agree that it get, it does get better as it goes along. That's kind of the the best thing about it, right? Yeah, um, yeah. agree. But but yeah, it's and it's not even that the drowned is bad. It's 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 just like it's very flat, right? Like it's just it's just not very memorable. Yeah, for anything. Yeah, it feels like it, it. If there's any of these segments that feels like any of the directors is being a little bit dishonest, this one feels a little like Christoph Gans is trying to ape Brian Yuzna, and like not very mm. succeeding very well. The creature in the drowned is pretty awesome, but like it just kind of, I don't know. It exists and it, it's it's okay. That segment anyway. Uh, okay, so we're going to transition over to Crossfire. You can buy a VHS of Necronomicon for $49.99. And- oh, there you go. That, that is a steal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Crossfire, 2000. Um, so at this point, uh, he's not necessarily as green behind the ears, and he's gone through the Gamera trilogy and um, had the opportunity to work on a Toho film. And uh, I know part of that was kind of his campaign to get into GMK and say, look, hey, like, here I am. (laughs) Um, Now, uh, so, yes, 2000. um, This one's a little bit more horror adjacent. um, uh, But, you know, kind of in the way that maybe something like The Human Vapor would be. Um, It's based on... Uh, a couple of novels by an author named Miyuki Miyabe, and I have no familiarity with the book, although I do know it is available, uh, it was published in English. Um, mm. But anyhow, um, so yeah, this was a Toho science fiction film, um, and uh, again, this sees him with Kootani as a composer, um, and uh, Shinichi Wakasa uh, doing the makeup effects again. Um, and uh, so this one is, more, like I said, it's more in the realm of uh, the mutant films. And um, anyone that has the DVD, there's a commentary and some interviews. And he's pretty upfront about saying, you know, this is kind of his version of, of one of those movies. In fact, um, 
when the girl uses her power, she uses the same gesture as Yoshio Tsuchiya in the human vapor, where she puts her hand over her, her chest. Um, so who wants to tackle the, uh, the, the plot for pyrokinesis? Or actually, uh, in Japan, it's called Crossfire, and I see it still referred to as Crossfire quite a bit. It was awesome. Crossfire. Remember that commercial? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um I hate doing I hate doing plot synopsis, but this one is like all not it's not convoluted, but it, it's kind of all over the place. So I'm gonna can I volunteer Tom as tribute? Because I feel like Tom Alright, oh, well uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. The next one is gonna be a challenge. So choose why. I mean, listen, listen. Everybody knows God's that left hand. Yeah, God's left hand's fun. Okay, um, I'll do this one because I, I actually can, don't uh, think it's that convoluted, and I, I actually am kind of confused by that statement. But well, I'll go ahead. <laughs> it's. I'm going to be open about it. It's it's racism that's confusing me. <laughs> well, well, you can explain. I'll, I'll, I'll let you explain that in a minute. Okay, so Crossfire, aka Pyrokinesis, um, it's about a young lady who um has the ability to start fires with her mind, and when she was a young girl, she actually accidentally killed someone. It's almost kind of like the origin of like an X Men character. You know, usually sometimes you have that one that like accidentally cause something and it hurts someone um and so she's lived with regret uh over that throughout her you know into adulthood and she's now a kind of shy male girl working in an office and um she becomes friends with uh one of her co-workers who kind of has a you know a thing for her and um they go to the company um christmas party and uh his uh, the 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 boy or the man his young uh sister joins and hangs out and everyone has a grand old time and then she's like um you know i'm gonna walk home and she's like oh are you sure you don't want me to you know follow you or you don't want some company you know make sure you're okay and she's like no i got this you know it's a quick way home i'm good well on the way home she is murdered by a, a gang of um young thugs uh, who videotape it and sell it as snuff, uh, you know, they sell these snuff films. And, you know, as if she didn't already have enough internalized guilt, you know, that is compounded here. And, you know, she really tries to deal with it because when she gets emotional, that's when her powers, you know, are more likely to cause problems. And, you know, her mother taught her, you know, go to a secluded area and just, like, let the fire out. So she goes to the apartment pool in the middle of the night and just lets it all out and evaporates the whole pool. Um, And uh, her brother who went to the party, the young girl's brother who went to the party with, uh, the, with, uh, her name's Junko, the fire starter, her name's Junko. Um, you know, he, he ends up learning about this and he's like, this, I, like the, the, the main kid in the gang, um, you know, he's this spoiled brat who's the son of, a like, a a, a powerful judge or, or something. I, I don't quite remember what, uh, his father does, but he's basically like, you know, a spoiled 
rich kid with a successful father and, you know, who has a high position of power and, like, nothing can happen to him. And he's like, you know, he's just going to keep getting off, like, we need to do something. So he convinces her to um, attempt to kill him with her powers, and she stops herself in the middle of it. She's like, I can't go through with this. And then... That's not how it happens. Okay, correct me then. Um, She's doing it, and he stops her. Okay. Um, and, and he later explains that he felt like his sis, he could hear his sister's voice, you know, being like, don't do this, don't do this. Like he, he basically felt like getting murderous revenge on them was, was, a, a, an assault or an affront to his sister's memory. Um, and he stopped her because he thought she was like losing herself in it. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they leave. Um, and he needs to literally get, you know, her to, to cool off. And then um, she's later approached by uh, someone that was kind of spectating named Keto, who he has the power to touch people and get them. They basically do whatever he tells them. Uh, he's It's like um, the Kilgrave in Jessica Jones, basically, if you've seen the Marvel show. Um and he's like, hey, you know, I know a lot of people like us, uh, and, you know, we we feel like you would be a help to us in taking out some of these criminals that are, you know, basically unchecked and that the justice system isn't putting away. And she's like, no, like, I can't do it. I'm done. And he's like, come on. Like, come on. Let, let me show you something. And... Um, he shows her, um, the tape of one of the, the killings that they confiscated. I don't remember if it's actually the, the other guy's sister or not. Do you I remember? I thought it was. Yeah. Okay. So he, he had conf- confiscated the tape, um, in one of his crusades and he's like, here, watch what they did. And, you know, you can get back to me. And she's like, and, you know, she watches some gnarly stuff on this tape. And she's like, okay, let's do it. And so they go in, they take out, she takes out most of the gang. Uh, but the lead kid, the brat, he gets away. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I don't want to get into third act spoilers too quick. But, yeah, it's basically, you know, them trying to find a way to stop this uh, these crimes, um, and yeah, the, that gets into a third act twist, uh, with the police department kind of, um, uh, the chief kind of being in on it, uh, for, you know, his own reasons and monetary gain and, and basically it boils down to corruption within the police department. Um, and yeah, that's pyrokinesis. And, uh, and another pyrokinetic tracking her down yeah yeah there's the the subplot with um uh this girl that's in a like a uh like a is it a she's is she a foster kid she's basically an orphan yeah yeah i think she's an orphan um but yeah she has she also has the power too and um you know junko you know, forms a relationship and a bond with her. Um, She's got other powers, though, too, right? Can't she, like, touch things and, and yeah. see their... Yeah, yeah. Their so she can touch past. things and kind of see their history, um, which... Uh, I don't... I mean, there's so many characters that kind of have that. 
Bird, bird doesn't think it's convoluted, but there's just there's a lot going on. I don't. I mean, is anything, Tom? Does anything I'm saying sound like it's convoluted? I, I mean, no. Plot wise, it's, it's not, and that's the thing. It's, it's a revenge plot story. Wise, super convoluted, but um, it's busy. I'm very white, uh, and the the male leads, like the the male brother and keto and the main bad guy, at least like before he gets horribly burned, all kind of look very similar that's racist uh, and when that keto first came in for like for like honestly i think it was like 20 minutes i was like wait a minute didn't she just burn his ass like who the hell is this guy um especially <laughs> i didn't think those guys looked the same <laughs> especially because his attitude is very um aggressive i would say um like He's not very, like, this keto, he's not very friendly to her, right? Um, it's more like, join me, because together we could rule the yeah, world. Yeah, he's more manipulative. And, yeah, it's not It's not so much like, join me because uh, justice or anything. It's more like, yeah, join me because together we'd be unstoppable. And I was thinking, like, oh, is he, like... You can't kill me because, but yeah, that's just because I'm I'm racist, I guess. Um, <laughs> and also because this was the one that I had to I had to cram this one in to get to be able to discuss it, right? So, um, that that was a big part of <laughs> of where my confusion was. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's. It is that there's a lot going on too, right? Um, and that's not really like a bad thing. Um, I mean, it, it, there's a lot going on in the same way that I don't know, kind of all the Kaneko movies are. Like, I, I, there's yeah. just—I mean, I wouldn't say there's any more going on here than you know, Gamera Three. And Gamera Three might be a bad example. I feel like that's more—that's busier. <laughs> I was going to say Gamera Three is a bad example. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's just, there's, there is a lot going on and like, and yeah, um, certain people's powers just like kind of come out of nowhere. Like things happen, like all of a sudden she's not just a pyrokinetic. She's like a, an ESP slash like, um, telekinetic sensitive person. So like at a, at an appropriate moment towards the end she just magically gets to use a little bit of telekinesis instead of pyrokinesis um the the, the girl who could like touch things is also just kind of you know conveniently a pyrokinetic like some of that kind of stuff like just kind of you're almost like oh isn't like one power each kind of good enough you know um but yeah it is like a it's like a weird like almost like like you said, it's uh, it definitely has that feeling of a mutant movie. I'm not sure, even necessarily to- just Toho mutant movie. It feels a little bit like X Men in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, especially when they get into the different. Um, well, like I mean, it, powers. Yeah, 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 and you know, the guy trying to recruit, uh, even though you know he's essentially a a bad guy <laughs> you know but yeah but yeah no it it gets into a little bit of x-men and um maybe a little bit of scanners um uh but are you um, saying that because heads explode <laughs> yeah there are yeah 
uh, touche. Um, but I, this is the only one in this, uh, well, I guess Necronomicon, but I guess uh, of the actual full-length features, you know, that was an anthology, Necronomicon. This is the only one that I'd seen before, so, um, yeah, I, I think a fresh perspective from one of you guys is probably most welcome to start off with. This is the only one that seems, well, again, except for Necronomicon, um, that seems like it has a budget. Yeah, that's true. Even even maybe including Necronomicon a little bit, like because that seems cheap as hell for an American production. Yeah, well, especially when you consider two thousand era ja- Japanese movies. I mean, um, w- the effects that are in here are actually pretty decent. Pretty good, yeah, they're pretty damn good. Um, There's some really good ones. Yeah, most of the most of the uh, like explosion head effects are good it's it's more like when people get lit on fire sometimes it's like pretty obvious cgi flames but like when people's heads explode that's usually a really cool even as far as the cg goes they do some cool stuff like at the end um where like there's the two force fields around the two girls then there's the part where she's kissing the the guy and they're in kind of the bubble and like the the snow is melting like that yeah. was all pretty cool, and then they did do a lot of stuff practically. Like in the commentary for the part where she goes into the office and like uh, all the fire, all the papers are flying around and they're on fire. Like they said, they used um, I forget what they called it, but it was it was a certain type of paper that like burns a certain way, and so they'd like light these on fire and like toss them into the frame and stuff. Is it that like magician's paper? Or whatever yeah, it's probably that, like- something like that. Yeah, no, I thought the effects were pretty pretty decent, especially for like a Toho era two thousands era Toho movie. I I thought they did good. Um, I feel like I've talked a little bit already, you know. Just yeah, Matt. Uh, it, broad terms. Uh, yeah, so um, I know Matt. You said you felt like the there's the story was busy. I think is the word you used, but you know, overall, you know how how do you feel about it about this one? I feel like this is a movie I'll like more upon rewatches. Um, there is a lot going on. My first takeaway was kind of like, it's all right, but but the the character work I think is done really well. I like the dynamic between here's this guy that can control people and make them do whatever he wants. And I feel a couple areas that I, I feel like the film struggles, like the Guardians concept, it's a ni- nice idea, but it's introduced a bit later in the mm-hmm. game than you would mm-hmm. want, I think. I agree. And, yeah. Yeah, so the Guardians, I mentioned a twist. So the chief of police, he runs the Guardians, which is, uh, it turns out they're like a sort of a vigilante group that's worse than, you know, the killer. It's basically the Dirty Harry 2 thing. And Kaneko even talked about uh, Dirty Harry 2 being like a point of reference when, when they were kind of talking about how they wanted to handle that. And so... um you know, he he's basically started as a vigilante who would, you know, go after and kill these criminals, but, you know, he started to get into, you know, hire other people to do it, and those people would film it as snuff films and sell it, and so it really just caused this big cycle, and he's kind of more of a nihilist now, where he's like, the victims and the, and the, the perpetrators are both scum, you know, he's, he's more in line of like, you know, just kill everyone. Um, (laughs) and he's played by, uh, the guy that's, uh, in Gamera 2, um, 
the general. He's like, yeah, he's like, he he does say like he's like because he's talking to the 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 leader of the gang or whatever, and he's yeah. like. He's like, I don't, I don't kill for money or for power. I, I, I get to kill for the just the sheer pleasure of it, you know. And you're like, okay, it's it's weird because it's it's on the one hand, it's it's almost like a nice like change of pace, right? From like the the typical uh, uh, chief of police who would be like corrupt because oh, if I kill people, like I get to keep my power. Or, oh. I'm I'm oh I owe money to the mob or you know like any of that kind of stuff like no this is he's like oh no I I kill people because because I like to and being in yeah. this lets me he basically start yeah he basically like formed the guardians for a cause and then was like you know what fuck it I just I, I just want to kill people <laughs> kill them all <laughs> um, I do want to piggyback because uh, Matt talked about the character work and I do want to kind of just kind of bring this into one of the strengths, I think, of Kaneko, even in the kaiju movies, is that he understands that the characters should be people, and you don't get that outside of, you know, Honda and maybe a couple other... Yeah, like, his character is like... In the Gamera trilogy, you have, you know, his... Uh, um, the the detective that is always like has the worst luck, and then you he's know in the, this movie. Yes, he is, <laughs> and he is also someone who doesn't have the best luck. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like he he understands that characters should have quirks. Like there's uh, one of my actually might be my favorite character in the movie. You know who I love is because um, like on the trail of all this, there's these two. Um, cops and they kind of their dynamic is actually really amusing it almost reminds me of Mulder and Scully where the guy is like super serious and it turns out he's actually the brother of the kid that Junko killed and so you know he is the one that's kind of like it's pyrokinesis I know it and my it killed my sister and you know his partner just kind of laughs at him and makes fun of him and she's always a smart ass I love her like uh, he there's a part where he gives like the bit this big ex- exposition dump and he's like well, well what do you think and she just goes it sounds like it would be nice for a barbecue like and i just thought that she was so funny and you know she's always um like eating these like cough drops or something and it's just like stuff like that is like you know that's how you make a character even a minor one someone that the audience like wants to see and you know, I that goes into his kaiju work too. Like he 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 knows that characters should be like they should be people also. And so I don't know how you guys felt about those cop characters or if you're picking up what I'm putting down here. But that she's awesome though. The female detective is she's wonderful. She's a joy on the screen every time she's on there because she's she's making fun of somebody or she's offering them. I, I think they're mints, but maybe I'm wrong. But she's like always offering them to other people and they never take them from her. And it's there, there's stuff like that in there thrown in that that makes it feel very realistic and relatable. And uh, every time she's on the screen, I really did. Yeah, I, I would watch a whole spinoff about those characters. Oh, dude, she's awesome. <laughs> Tom, how do you? What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I like, I like when, um, especially when you're dealing with like more minor characters, but it, it can work with major characters too. When they have like an affectation, right? That like kind of makes them their thing you know the the one thing um just to kind of parlay this into a little bit of kaiju talk that like i really liked about skull island for example is yeah you know none of the characters are, are really super memorable 
but they have that thing where they're all doing the dear Billy, welcome to the biggest shithole on earth. You know, like, like when you give characters just a, a little through line, uh, and some affectations, it makes them seem like characters, even if you don't do a lot of character work yeah. with them. Why do so many like kaiju movies fuck that up? Uh, movies. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, like even well, Tom, that actually brings to mind one of my favorite examples of that is in Frankenstein Conquers the World when Nick Adams is wearing that like <laughs> he's wearing like that chef's outfit and he's making dinner. <laughs> Like, I love stuff like that. Like, give your characters some, like, spunk, you know? Yes, yeah. Let them, let them be, like... Let them like be people. Said, like, people. <laughs> like, like, goofballs who, you know, like... like Yeah, it was like a spur-of-the-moment, like, thing, you know? Like, that's where, that's where you get into this, like... The, I think the, the problem, one of the big problems in, in the way the movies are made in general, especially, like, now is either you're sticking just to your script because it's the studio mandate and you're on the studio mandated script and you're on the studio's time and if you don't just stick with it, you're going to have to deal with reshoots and all that kind of stuff. Or they go with like the let's improvise everything and then nothing feels cohesive. When you give... Because and, and, I, I don't know, maybe maybe Kaneko was like, oh, yeah, your character just loves mints. But part of me feels like the, the actress was just like, oh, what if like I just had mints you know, yeah. like all the time? See, you, and you got to be a good director, too, to be able to reel it in properly. Because um, you don't want people just like bebopping and skit scooting and doing whatever <laughs> they want all over the place. Um, but just being letting people be people and bring stuff of their own to it a little bit um makes it all more fleshed out and real yeah no i i appreciate that he always seems to kind of do that uh in his films um and and it doesn't even always necessarily work right like because he does that with in gamera 3 where i think with some of his characters you know like that's mm -hmm. kind of a weird, weird like thing like especially with the the, the video game designer guy and his girlfriend. I, I feel like I feel like he tries to kind of make them more like people, people, but like it doesn't necessarily work. Um, but yeah, like in GMK, he has one of his characters get drunk. Yeah, and that's a that's a fun scene when she comes home and you know yeah. to her, her yeah, to her uptight her. father and yeah, you she gotta do stuff. Like, and, yeah, you, yeah, you gotta you gotta do stuff when like you know. Don't just tell someone like, "Hey, uh, here, read li lines, read them." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Well, we have some familiar faces uh, behind the camera. Um. Uh. The girl who is um the younger girl is played by Masami Nagasawa, who was one of the Mothra twins in Tokyo SOS and Final Wars. Um. Mm. You already mentioned uh, the detective from Gamera 3. Um, you have a lot of Gamera people kind of showing up in these bit parts. Um, Did, was it Asagi or the... Yep, the, Ste yeah, the yeah, Steven Seagal's daughter. Yeah, she was a waitress in one scene. Yeah. And then uh, the bird expert girl was in one scene also. I don't know if she worked at the... I think she works at the police station. Yeah, yeah. She's, like, at, at the desk and, like, behind yeah. a computer. 
Um, and it's an, it's a, it is a Kaneko movie, so we also have our mutual friend, Norman England, uh, playing Surprised Man in Restaurant. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, no, this, this, I, 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 this is probably, based on his kaiju movies, this is probably the movie we're talking about this closest to what someone unfamiliar with everything else would expect a Kaneko movie to be. Like, this is... Probably. Yeah, this feels more like the Gamera and Godzilla work that he did than the other stuff, I think. Just in terms of character and, um, you know, just kind of the the way the story is, I guess. It's the one that I think um, the kaiju community is the most aware of, you know? yeah. Of, of his of his non kaiju movies, um, I would say that awareness level is obviously not very high. But I would say you know like of his non kaiju movies, yeah. this is the one that I think a lot of people are like. Oh, you should also check out. Yeah, and yeah, and on that note, it's probably also the one that um, you know they're most most likely to gravitate to and relate to the most. I think. Um, and this, uh, the screenwriter is, uh, also, uh, co-wrote GMK and Tokyo SOS. So that might also have something to do with how, you know, it feels a little bit more familiar, uh, feeling, mm-hmm. but I know I dug it. And as, you know, as, as you know, it's not perfect. I, I do think my big thing is the guardian stuff really is brought in like super late. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I, I think that probably should have been pushed, you know, more towards the, you know, the end of the second act, maybe. Even just kind of sprinkling hints of it or whatever, you know, like. Yeah. You don't you don't have to you don't have to uh, you don't have to pull the pull the curtain aside and reveal that the chief is leading them. Right. You know, early, but just to sprinkle it in and kind of introduce the concept earlier. Yeah, I don't think we get enough of the chief per se. Also, for the twist to really hit home the way that you would want it to. Yeah, because he's yeah. like he's there, but he's not really much of a presence. Yeah, he's not. He's not like a main player, and he's not. It's just I don't know when when it, when it happens, you're kind of like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> like that's how I felt about it. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, I I don't know. I, I we've we've talked at length about this one. I think we're okay to go ahead with. Uh, our ratings. Um, how many uh, refused mints do you give this out of five? I'm at a three and a half on this one. Um, you know, Matt said it, it could possibly go up for him on repeat viewings. That's pretty much how I feel, too. Um, yeah. You know, just something once now that I've got a little bit of a better hold and, you know, not uh not in a situation where i'm trying to cram it in to discuss mm-hmm. on a podcast yeah um where i'm just sitting back and, and enjoying it i i think i'd probably be at it, it it could climb to a four but yeah i'm right now i'm at a three and a half it's really enjoyable it's uh it's very fast paced i think that's something that um that the, the kaiju community and the kaiju listeners out there will appreciate it's um, got them explosions you know it's got it's got lots of lots of explosions. It doesn't have stupid people talking. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's it's a fun, uh, well paced movie. Um, 
despite my uh, my my uh, is it is it my racism or my privilege, whatever. Uh-uh. <laughs> both. It's definitely both. Um, my, my white privilege. You know, I I'm gonna yeah, I, I would just fall right in line with you guys at a three and a half, a really good three and a half. And I think it's if you want a taste of his non kaiju work, I think this is the best entry point because um, it has the same kind of feel as those. Um, so. Uh, yeah, and if you're into, you know, people with powers, whether it's, um, you know, like if you're into the Toho Mutant films or um, anything like that, also uh, uh, definitely, I think, check it out. I think it's, I think it's, it's solid. I, I think um, uh, it's going to capture a lot of things that people uh, like about um, how he handled Godzilla and Gamera. So I would do a three and a half. So, um... I like how Bird thinks we've already got my rating. (laughs) Didn't you say a three and a half also? No. Oh, God. No, you didn't. All right, well, go on. Go on, sir. Uh, it is also a three. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. For my two seconds of fame, though. Uh, okay, so now, uh... Man, if things didn't get weird already, uh, it's gonna get weirder... Um, and this is the only one that I had any real kind of, uh, information that I could find as far as to, you know, I guess its origins, cause it's a little bit troubled, I guess. So God's left hand, the devil's right hand, um, this is, uh, based on a, a manga written by Kazuo Yumizu, who's actually like a really famous... Uh, horror author in Japan, and I mean, there's adaptations of his work going all the way back to the 60s, um, and uh, I've seen some other stuff that's based on his work. Um, anyhow, uh, so this is based on a manga from him, and uh, I ha- which I have not read. However, um, in kind of like um, you know, to prepare for the podcast, looking over some some reviews of the movie. Um, I do know that the manga is something like over 300 pages with a lot going on, and uh, it sounds like the movie didn't even bother to, like, it sounds like it, well, it probably thought it would be too difficult to condense all that into one, so it's really just taking a section of it, or I guess, um, I don't know if the, what the word is, a chapter or a, a um, an arc of the manga called The Black Picture Book, and doing, and just turning that into... A film, and uh, I don't know. Like some of the reviews I saw said, like if you're not familiar with the material, this really doesn't give you an easy way into it. Um, uh, so I don't know. We can kind of get back to that because it probably relates to how the the movie was delivered. Um, and then actually, this was not uh, something that Kaneko was always um, attached to. Um, this was actually uh, a project that was going to be made by a director named Hiroyuki Nasu, um, who has done a lot of, I guess, I don't know, some cult movies, um, including what I hear is terrible, uh, the live-action Devilman movie. Um, but he was uh, Kaneko's mentor way back in the day. Um, uh, and, well, we can talk a little bit about how Kaneko got his start. Uh, he started off working at Nikatsu... 
um, after they had kind of gone under, and they were only scraping by making uh, pink cinema, which is basically uh, sexploitation movies, uh, and sometimes called Roman porno is a nickname. Um, <laughs> it's not... I, I don't think it's necessarily porn, but it's definitely it's erotic cinema. The erotic um, adventures of Hercules? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, oh no, the Cyclops tore off my shirt. <laughs> so, yeah, these movies uh, were often these raunchy stories about, you know, promiscuous schoolgirls or whatever. Um, and, yeah, so that's how Kaneko got his his start. And uh, he, the first projects like that that he worked on over there were being directed by this guy, Nasu. So, um, you know... Uh, he kind of credits him with a lot of, you know, getting into the industry. Um, but he had died, um, of liver cancer and he was very close with, with Kaneko throughout the years. Um, and, uh, Kaneko said that, you know, he was only a few years older than him and, you know, he, they, they were, they were kind of like brothers and, um, he got a call from this movie's, uh, screenwriter, um, Yoshinori, Matsuge, I don't know, I might have butchered that last name, but um, he got a, a text message from him one day that was basically like begging him to step in and take over as the director. And uh, Kaneko said uh, he he felt like he had to, you know, to kind of honor his dead friend and, and you know, do it to, to kind of, you know... Uh, get a little bit of closure and he said you know he 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 said that he really kind of fe- doesn't feel like this is his movie he feels like it's nasu's movie and he tried to t- direct it as if he was you know directing through him um uh and then you know this movie i think more than any of the the ones that we're talking about um i don't know i don't think this was really backed by a big studio um so this was a really low budget production and uh i think the schedule he said was something like only 20 days um and uh yeah that was that (laughs) and um he did say like he even he found the story kind of confusing and when he went back and looked at the manga he thought that was kind of confusing and he said you know if he'd read the manga without and, you know, was offered it it just as its own project, he probably wouldn't have done it. But, um, that's, that's the, the background I could find on that movie. And I thought it was interesting. And I think a lot of that probably plays into the final results. Um, so since this one, uh, this is a a little bit difficult. So I'm going to attempt to elect one of you for the plot synopsis. I'm gonna try. I have some. I have some notes, so hopefully that'll that'll help. Okay, go ahead. So we have a six-year-old boy named uh, So, and he has a sister named Izumi. Uh, so it's it, it's told us in the very beginning of the movie has this ability. He can kind of see things um, in his nightmares, and the boy's having a nightmare. He's in, for some reason he's he, well, he's in his bed. And as he's having this nightmare, we see a a little girl. She picks up a doll and she's getting ready to take it home. And a killer in what we can only see are like white shoes and pants ends up killing her with like this hook and he stabs it like kind of through her uh, her neck. 
So is inexplicably also receives that same kind of wound and starts bleeding profusely and squirting blood everywhere. Um, his family comes in, they take him to the hospital and he, his sister knows because he's told her in the past that he is, that she's going to have to find this red phone and she's going to have to save him. Um, and so he also is able to somehow communicate with her through the phone, even though when she gets the phone, it's like broken in pieces. And um, so what she does is she begins to look and she begins to try to find essentially, I guess, the, the killer. And he tells her where to go and she follows his instructions and she meets this um, another girl. And there's all these murders that, that begin to happen. Um, and she meets another girl in this town that's a couple trains down. And together, as they're doing this investigation, um, the one girl owns, her mother owns like a cake shop or something. And we learn that the killer is, comes to the cake shop and is buying cakes for his daughter. The killer's daughter, his name is uh, Momo. And Momo cannot, uh, she has bad legs, they say in the movie. Um, so she's basically bedridden. And every night, her father comes up and tells her these very demented stories. And he draws her some pictures in this black book. And then he reads her like, he basically tells her like a story. And the stories always end with the murder of someone. Um, it's a pretty good place to stop. I mean, that's kind of the, they're, they're trying to piece together how it happens and how they get there. And um, figuring out how to deal with the killer. And there's some, there's a scene towards, uh, towards the end of the film they confront the killer and um but it's it's very there's a lot of stuff happening but what i love about the movie is i like this idea of this guy is demented and he's he's basically capturing the essence of his kills and then retelling them kind of like in a fable setting to his daughter like that idea is both terrifying and i i really think the father's character sells it really well okay that was actually a Pretty streamlined uh, plot synopsis for a movie. Yeah, is at least to me, I I was I was there, really was, was really kind of incoherent. More, there are a few more flashbacks that Matt alluded to. You know, it's a lot of like, um, you know, the the it's a lot of going f- deeper into a lot of why the sister is doing some of the things she's doing as she's trying to investigate what happened to her brother and. And how to find this killer because, you know, they they establish that they have a pretty good relationship, the brother and the sister. And so she's like remembering, you know, him telling her one day while she's like giving him a bath or something that he's like, now after you find the red phone, there's something about a blue girl who's got a blue phone. And she's like, what does that even mean? And he's like, I don't know. I And that's <laughs> one of the one of the things I do like about it, actually, is, you know. He, he, the brother has this like kind of ability to have like some visions of the future or, or even I guess the present and you know things like that um, some sort of right some sort of like powers where he's got abilities to see things that he shouldn't be um, but it's never like he doesn't talk in riddles so that you can earn the knowledge and figure it out he talks like in riddles or in half truths or things like that and then then people are like well why and he's like i honestly don't know he's like i just know like i keep seeing like a blue girl in a blue dress and i know she's going to be important and he's like i have no idea how but she just is you know like he's like and i know this red phone this red phone you got to find it it's going to be important and i don't really understand how but it just is like you have to find the red phone so i do kind of like how it like it, it doesn't 
it's not like bullshitty in in its mystery, you know, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't really make it like a pretentious kind of thing. Um, it, it's just kind of like a factual, like this is important, but don't ask me how I know or why. Um, I like that aspect of it quite a bit. And then the other aspect that I, I really like about this, and it's kind of what, what made me enjoy the movie the most is like the, the kill sequences are super stylish and super well done. And they're super well done on what you could tell is a budget of about like 58 cents. Um, I mean, you can, you could tell just by looking at this movie for a few minutes that it has no budget, but the, uh, the kill sequences are super stylish in particular. I I love the one, uh, in the, it's not a cake shop, but like Like he attacks, he, he attacks these two girls who bought like 53 cakes for some reason. Um, And just the way that a whole thing plays out, like there's there's all these white cakes everywhere. He cuts off the one girl's head and the blood, blood sprays over it. And like just the way the blood sprays and everything, it's like it actually is like got this like kind of haunting beauty to it. And um, and then what he I don't want to spoil what he does to the what he does to the other girl, but it's yeah, awesome. Yeah, that that is pretty awesome. Huh? Yeah, no, uh, I will say yeah, that you can definitely tell this movie has like no budget. It has a really kind of cheap digital look but i think that kaneko and uh whoever the dp was i think they really did the best they could with what they had and yeah especially when it comes to the gore uh scenes uh they're pretty great and i mean come on i mean how much better would every movie be if it just started with a child's neck exploding you know (laughs) (laughs) um for me, it really did kind of, and I feel like maybe this is a disconnect with me because uh, I'm not familiar with this source material, and I know uh, it sounds like they really just kind of adapted the, this one arc pretty straightforwardly without, you know, an easy kind of access point for the audience. I I struggled with just kind of, it just felt kind of really incoherent, and I feel like Part of that's a little bit probably intentional. This definitely feels like it's definitely operating more on a kind of like a dream logic kind of uh, uh, out like blueprint, you know, almost like, uh, you know, a European or like an Italian horror movie would where, you know, it's not really so much about making sense as it's just an exercise in, you know, style and weirdness and unpredictability. Um, But that kind of, kept me kind of disconnected from it also in a way um but yeah the, i can see that yeah the, the i mean especially because the again not i don't want to spoil anything right because most people probably haven't seen this one but there's a there's a thing that happens at the end oh yeah i was thinking about that tom um and and it's it's almost like a series of things that happens at the end that uh just really seem to come out of nowhere. Like, yeah, one second this boy has some sort of form of ESP, uh, basically, and the next, like, <laughs> the things that are happening are, are yeah, like X Men level, like in- insanity and like crazy. You know, it's almost like all of a sudden Brian Yuzna took over and was like. <laughs> 
And it was like, and then this happens, and everyone was just like, uh, what? <laughs> um, and like, especially because... Uh, got a nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street to me. One of the, one of the reviews I read, um, and it was just more of a blurb than even a review, really, but uh, one of the things I read said, like, um, without the budget, you can't really fully capture the surrealism of the manga, and I really... I totally believe, like, that... And, and yeah, that... I wonder if that's just like, for the most part, they tried to avoid it, but then they got to this one spot and they're like, I don't, I don't know what else to do, you know? And like, is like this really random weird thing that just happens, but it was meant to be like a little bit more stylish and surrealistic maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like I, I, I feel like budgetary restrictions are a big, uh, thing with a lot of that especially like yeah at the end there's a certain character that gets it's like what's the most primitive like home pc like movie effects maker (laughs) like (laughs) thing that they do to this guy and it, (laughs) it just looks like a cartoon um i i mean my problem with the movie is more or less i think that on a script level, I, I feel like they just kind of took this arc and were like, okay, here, here's this arc, and even though it probably takes place in like the middle of this this manga, you know, we're just going to adapt it straight forward. And yeah, I, I found the movie kind of pretty confusing, to be honest. I, I, I didn't quite get it, really. Um, the stuff that worked for me, in addition to the gore scenes I talked about, though, are... Um, what Matt was talking about, I love the the killer, and I love. I mean, the, the murder scenes are awesome, and then I love that he draws them in this storybook, and he basically turns them into like bedtime stories for for his daughter, who's like all, loves them. Um, but even that's kind of weird because, like, once she finds out that they're true, she like gets all pissed about it. But like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I. That's that's the one spot where I I don't want to disagree with you guys because I like the idea, but I also feel like it's it's handled maybe like a little bit clunky or something where I feel like he should have sanitized his stories a little bit further, you know, like now he does a little bit right. He, He never tells her a story where he's like, and then I killed them. No, he's like. He's like, oh, they, they, you know, she found this doll, and then the doll loved her so much it killed her. Or, oh, they loved cake so much that they loved cake so much that they were killed because they loved cake that much. And you're like, okay, so he's he's kind of sanitizing it a little bit and like almost kind of saying like, um, like he's not so much responsible as much as as much as his like he's victim shaming. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's kind of like, oh, yeah, they liked cake so much, so that's what made them die. And, you know, like, uh, I, I kind of, that that makes sense or whatever, but I also feel like, you know, he's telling these stories to this little girl. He's like, oh, and then she got her head cut off, and she's okay with that until she finds out that it's real. You know, like, it's almost like, if you were raised your entire life to think that, like, beheadings were, like, really good bedtime stories and then you found out that your favorite beheading story was real would you be 
pissed about it? I don't know. (laughs) What a question. I I think there's a reason. I mean, I think part of it is she finds, uh, and I don't want to ruin this particular kill because it's awesome, but like she finds the victims and then she realizes what happens. And then she pieces together the fact that all the, you know, the 20 books upstairs that her father's given her have actually happened. And so for me, that, that didn't bother me. I do see the point about, him sanitizing the story. I think really the the first story that's told is kind of the best in the way that he sets it up. And then his intentions to kill the, the two protagonists, the two, the two female characters, uh, Azumi and her friend, like what he's talking about doing to them is actually kind of cool. Like the way that he's going through it. And, and uh, again, the father's character is incredible and his mannerisms are genuinely creepy. Um, and then I, I think the film's downfall is, the ending really does come out of nowhere because it's it's set up to be a supernatural thing, but the stuff that happens is just kind of like I'm not really sure how to take that. Is it, it's definitely supposed to be in this surreal setting? And if you've there's manga scans, manga manga scans online that show some of the other kills, and they're they're pretty grotesque. Like uh, apparently there's a scene where. Azumi, the sister, gets like stabbed through the head from the back of the head, and the, and the scissors come out like through her eyes and stuff. So there's some really cool stuff out there if you wanted to look a little bit further into the manga to see some what some of the differences might be. Yeah, no, the I, the manga sounds crazy, and it uh, yeah, it sounds like I, it might even be like the they chose this story from it just because, like, hey, this is probably the closest thing we can do without a lot of money the title of the movie basically gets set at one point and that comes very much out of nowhere Agreed. yeah <laughs> Agree. like, and it's agreed. kind of used to like explain what's going on but like it's not it's but something that's not it, really talked about before and it makes it more that. confusing <laughs> <laughs> yeah like uh why do there's a, why does this character possess god's left hand and the devil's right hand is basically and then, like the- after and then like after that happens like other characters in the movie are like it's because he has god's left hand devil's right hand whoa <laughs> that's so cool and you're like oh so this is just a thing like <laughs> and like you said that's that's obviously because it's just this from like the the middle of a manga or whatever but yeah it's like it's it's uh it's it's like oh that's a thing now I didn't realize that was a thing you know like yeah uh, it's like that moment in uh, in Rick and Morty if you have any Rick and Morty fans out there uh, in um, Anatomy Park when uh, <laughs> Hepatitis C saves them and like nods to them and Morty's like what did we did we have a thing with him like <laughs> I love that that's a great episode of Rick um, that's what it reminded it's like. That's what I was like. I, you know, they're like, God's left hand, devil's right hand. I'm like, was was that a thing? <laughs> I do love the uh, the way the, the, the father is eventually dealt with. Like, that scene is, is pretty awesome. I don't know if you guys remember what I'm talking about. Like, Except at the end? The, yeah, I just, I like the way that... When it has the crazy, like, Microsoft Windows 96 video effects going on. <laughs> I, I I liked the idea behind it though. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, and 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 plus, there's actually a really well done effect right before it. Um, it makes no sense. 
Um, it's, it's some it's some Nightmare on Elm Street two stuff. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. Uh, but like, it's a really well done effect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a weird. One. Like, I just felt like I was watching like a uh, like the middle of a TV series where like I didn't understand what any of the rules were or like. <laughs> how any anything worked and so i was just kind of confused the whole time um so yeah this one i i wasn't really too too hot on this one actually i um and uh you know even like when i started to kind of try to go with it as like a just an exercise in surrealism um you know i i just felt a distance from it and i i think some of that is probably just because of the just how low budget everything is like i said it has that cheap kind of digital look that like these ultra low budget movies have so you know where if i'm watching like a argento movie and nothing's making sense like at least i can ooh and ah at the production design and and you know this didn't have so much of that either so um I don't know. This one, this one left me a little cold, but there, there's definitely things I like about it, and you know, maybe it's the, something that I'll watch uh, again in the at some point, and it'll it might click with me a little bit. But um, yeah, this one left me a little cold, but uh, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a waste of time or anything. It's a good rating scale for this. <laughs> Oh, we should also mention that the uh the blue the girl in the blue is uh Ayana from uh Gamera three. That's correct. Yeah. Um, um I feel like the best rating for this is a is a big spoiler. <laughs> um I mean at this point if they listen this far, why not? Okay, how many brothers ripping out of their sisters' carcasses? um like i said this one left me a little bit colder i really appreciated the the gore and the effects and um i like the stuff with the killer a lot but you know everything else kind of leaves me cold i think maybe if if we got a little bit more of the brother and his exploits in I don't know what you want to call it, like Dreamland or what, wherever you're seeing all this stuff. Maybe he should have been pushed to the forefront a little bit. Maybe not even as a lead, but just a little bit more. Um, I, I think the sister, following the sister just is a little bit more, uh, I don't know, just seemed a little bit too vanilla. Um, but uh, like I said, I mean, this is a movie of some ups and some downs. Um and, you know, if I had understood it, I'd <laughs> probably rate it higher. But, you know, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do a two and a half for this one. Wow. Um, so I, I think I have the opposite problem with this that I would have uh, Pyrokinesis or Crossfire, where I actually like this a lot to the point where, like, I was leaning three. I'm, I'm a three and a half kind of leaning towards a four based on just my enjoyment. And I know we've talked about a lot of the issues the movie has. But I think upon subsequent rewatches, I'm probably gonna gonna notice all the things we've already talked about that kind of the film just misses. So I see this kind of trending downward for me. But my my initial watch was like a, a solid three and a half. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with Matt there. Where like, um, yeah, on rewatches, I might be like, wait, well, that doesn't make sense. Neither does that. Neither does that. And that might bother me more. But 
I just I really enjoyed like the 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 kill sequences. I thought they were just really well done. And I think I think that might have been a big part of it was just you know, I, I kind of turned this on and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be like hard to watch, right? Because it, it looks like really unfortunately cheap. And I'm sitting there thinking this is going to be like hard for me to watch, honestly. It's, it's like even the stuff that I should like in a horror movie, I'm not going to wind up liking. And and instead I found myself kind of a little bit disarmed and, and pleasantly surprised at times by how much... Um, it seemed like Kaneko was able to squeeze out of what must have been a minuscule budget. Oh yeah, um, they're so really like every penny is yeah you know, being put to use here. So it kind of it kind of like won me over by how impressive some of that stuff was, and and I was at like a three and a half. I just really wound up enjoying it because I I think my you know first few minute kind of take was going to be was oh my god i'm not going to like this to where i was like oh i'm 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 engaged i get it i like what's going on i i like the relationship between the brother and the sister and they have this very sweet and kind of loving relationship and and okay and yeah i wound up just really liking it of the movies we talked about tonight actually this was my favorite and and it wasn't really that close uh no this 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 would be below uh, Necronomicon and Pyrokinesis for me. Yeah, this was my least favorite of... Necronomicon's my jam, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, like, my wheelhouse. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's... So, in what order would you guys recommend these to a kaiju fan? Ooh, that's a good of... question. Because um, it's tough, right? Like, um, I think pyrokinesis is going to be unanimous number one. Yeah, I think that's the go-to answer, just because it ha- it feels it just it just feels the most like w- the the stuff that kaiju fans are going to be familiar with from him. And then after that, I would probably say Necronomicon. You know, that's got um, a lot of the the practical effects that they're going to like, um, including you know the Christoph Gans segment has that big kind of squid monster thing that comes out of the floor. Um, and then I would do probably my soul is slashed. And then, um, then probably this one, just because like, I mean, even for you guys who like it more than me, it's, this is just such an odd movie and it really kind of dips into the more surrealism kind of dream logic thing that is probably going to be, you know, a little bit harder of a pill to swallow for, you know, your more mainstream uh, kind of audience. I would flip the bottom too, honestly. I feel like, I feel that way towards my soul is slashed as far as like giant monster fans and what they might like. I mean, everybody's taste is going to be slightly different, but for me, I think you could sell a monster fan on, Hey, there's a ton of gore versus, Hey, here's a uh, love story about Dracula where he becomes Dracula by the end and does crazy stuff. Like for me, I think the, the gore is something you can definitely sell people on. Bird said dream logic. Uh, no. No inception. <laughs> oh. You were like you were like it gets into the dream logic and I was immediately all I could think here for the next like few seconds was just Bwah, bwah. <laughs> All right, but, well, but does the spinner tip um, over? That's what we all need to know. Alright, well are you ready but, to stop being a maniac and answer your own question here? 
<laughs> yeah, you bastard. Um, I actually, uh, it's tough. I think I might put Necronomicon first. Um, I just think, I think kaiju fans uh, might gravitate more towards the slippery, slimy monsters. Um, and the the creep show feel. Um, I think I would then put pyrokinesis, like you said, familiarity definitely would play a part in it. And that's where that those two are tough to choose. But I'm I'm going with I'm going with the the people who don't like the movies uh, because they have humans in them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just show me monsters. Kicking I, I that's where I think Necronomicon might might win a kaiju fan over more. Um, and then pyrokinesis, like you said, it feels more feels more familiar for sure you know it's more it's 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 tough it's how do you balance out humans are stupid versus i'm a total weeb but um (laughs) but yeah i'm I'm going with pyrokinesis after that um and then uh uh, that the the bottom two are tough because it's like what is it what is it again what is a kaiju fan kind of gra- going to gravitate towards more maybe a little bit more of uh, you know stylish stylish killing or um like a universal monster toho mutant kind of thing I, I might i might put um my soul is slashed next and then this one um this one just yeah it might be like a little bit too kitschy and low budget though flip side again my soul is slashed. Lots of kaiju fans don't like the ser- the the sillier movies. Well, they also if they don't like people. Then this like is them. serious. This is serious business, you guys. <laughs> serious business. Right. Uh, but no, I would. I think I would go. My soul is slashed for the you know Dracula and um, the Toho mutant kind of feel, and then this uh, in terms of just what kaiju fans might like, okay. possibly. I think that's you know a good a good uh, way to wrap this up. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I think a big thing is you know, I think the top two though we would all recommend to like the the bottom two. I think we're all probably on the same page, right? Of like, if it sounded interesting to you, by all means check it out. But if not, you could probably it might, they might it. be t- it might be too weird, you know. Um, but the but the top two, I think like. Yeah, you're a kaiju fan, and and humans are stupid, and and it's all about them kaiju. But like, you probably would like those two movies. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I mean, really, I think these are all movies. Uh, like the even Necronomicon, which is an American production, has just fallen into complete obscurity. So, you know, I think that's part of why we wanted to cover these. Is you know, it's a director we know people like, and he's done some some good stuff outside of kaiju and in into horror and um yeah i mean he's a good director and i i i'd like to see him take another stab at the genre if his heart's in it but um you know i mean we should be happy that you know as decent as some of the other movies might be we do have someone who's like a real director <laughs> like a you know not just you know your kind of journeyman uh kind of a uh, workman director that you know wants to make these so so yeah uh oh and so next time we're gonna come full circle right and we're gonna do kaneko's pink films 
and oh, yeah, uh, let's do it. and that and that writer from Gakidama's movies like uh, what was it like inflatable sex doll of the oh, yeah, southeast and, <laughs> uh, and flesh futon I think was yeah, one of them let's, yeah let's, let's do it all all pink films all the time it, we're just gonna we're gonna come full circle on that <laughs> uh, all right well uh, happy Halloween everybody instead of Inktober we'll do Pinktober <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, yes. Happy Halloween. Stay safe. Uh, listen to yes. Halloweeny music and eat candy and just binge Happy horror Halloween. movies. Yeah. Happy Halloween, right. bros. <laughs> Later, everybody.